Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 123 of Australian Hiker Podcast. And in this week's episode, we're going to continue to discuss our journey on the human hobble track. Many of you may be aware by now that what started out as a 19-day through-hike finished after day 14 due to injury. In this episode, we're going to discuss our last few days on the track, our reasons for getting off the track, uh, some logistical issues or considerations if you're looking at doing this hike, as well as uh, what our plans for the future are to finish this trip off. We hope you enjoy. Good morning. It's day 12. We're here at Junction Campground. We've just packed up uh, and getting ready to head on to Manus Lake. Um, Tonight, last night rather, was... um, not as cold as the night before, but we still had ice we we needed to shake off the fly uh and so while it it didn't get down to what I thought was about minus five the night before, I think it probably was down to at least minus one or two last night um We're in a reasonably sheltered sort of campsite um so uh it wasn't too bad overall, but I think having the uh, the stream nearby just puts a bit of moisture into the air and makes things feel so much colder. I can see up um, over into the next area, there's actually a bit of frost on the ground, but where we are is reasonably clear. Yeah, it was it was uh, quite mild um, when we were uh, pitching the tent and having dinner and uh, getting ready to go to bed, and uh, then it definitely hit in the middle of the night. So, uh, you know, survivable, it's okay. Tent's doing okay. You know, for our three season tent is <laughs> surviving four seasons. Um, so, yeah, all going well. Um, so, today we're uh, heading to Mandus Lake, and depending on what time we get there and what we're feeling like and whether there's availability, we might actually avail ourselves of a bed and breakfast, which is only about four or five hundred metres away from where the campsite is. So, um, too much of a temptation, I think. It is too much of a temptation. We also will need to pick up our food cache, which we've hidden in the general vicinity. Um, so hopefully that's still there and still in one piece. Otherwise, it might be a – we do have some spares, but it might be a bit of a struggle to get through the next uh, eight days or seven and a half days with uh, without any extra food. Yeah, so we've got a combination of 22 kilometres today uh, going via the Henry, Henry Angel trackhead, and uh, it's uh, a mix of easy and moderate. Okay, we'll press on. Good evening. It's around about 6.30. This morning we started uh, the day off at Junction Campsite and we finished it at Manus Lake Campsite uh, for a total of 22-kilometre distance. Um, Not an overly difficult day, but a long day, and there was a lot of ups, although the ups weren't as bad as some of the ones we've had previously. So I think it was classed as moderate overall. Uh, from the map's perspective? Yeah, it was. Um, it was highlighted as a, a hard, uh, long climb. Um, it probably 
was that in places? Um, and we, you know, we got through it reasonably quickly. Um, it was a really nice uh, hike today, though. We saw all sorts of different things. Uh, my favourite thing, uh, the echidna, echidna um, uh, was busily doing its thing and then uh, noticed me and stopped frozen and then noticed Tim and moved six inches to the right and hit his head in the ground and thought, if he can't see us, we can't see him. I think echidnas permanently have a look on their face that says, oh, crap, I've been seen. <laughs> uh, and they, they, don't, they don't walk very fast or move very fast, so they just find a bit of soft soil to bury themselves in. Oh, partly. <laughs> uh, partly bury themselves in, but just leaving the spines exposed and covering up the soft, fleshy bits. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they're pretty, pretty impervious to, to anyone that isn't trying to kill them with a, a sharp stick or a gun. So, um, yeah, look, uh, pretty impressive. The colouring um, and the spines um, was more frightened rather than um, aggressive. So you know, we did we didn't get too close, and uh, we watched from a distance. The other thing that we saw today, which was just glorious, uh, were a couple of different uh, uh, types of uh, native hooded ground orchids. And uh, you can see some of the photos of these um, uh, when we do the posts. But, uh, you know, been hiking for a long time. Orchids are a bit of a thing that we have. Terrestrial orchids, ground orchids in particular, and um, haven't seen that many at all. And on this hike, uh, once we got our eye in, we were seeing dozens in clumps. And that was just amazing. Yeah, it's um, both Jill and I are a horticulturalist and Jill's a botanist. Uh, and as much as we've seen these things previously, coming across them in the wild because they're so tiny, um, you know, we, we found one one patch was over 25, another one which was close, and then lots of little, little twos and threes here and there once we'd actually got our eye in. Um, so we actually got to um, the Henry Angel... Uh, trailhead site uh, within a couple of hours of leaving this morning and that was actually quite an impressive site they mow it they maintain it really well and yet again I seem to find a pair of welcome swallows that had nested inside the men's toilets and were, and were, <laughs> mo- and, and were most upset that I was in there and was sweeping, sweeping me whereas Jill said no no nothing in her side at all so it just must be me I must encourage these things um Really, there was only one other couple there, and they were going for a walk along the trail ahead of us. Uh, but given the fact that it's uh, Wednesday today, um, the you know the, the park was pretty empty. But I expect it gets a lot of use out of the weekend, uh, and it's a really nice looking site if you happen to be passing through and want someone to camp or have a caravan with you. Yeah, and uh, it seems to be free, and you can stay for a number of days and. Up to five days. So you're not allowed to live there, but maximum of five days. Yeah, and I have to say that both Tim and I are really impressed with some of these uh, track heads that we've we've seen. Um, yeah, they're, they're uh, great for the uh, caravaner, camper trailer, as well as tent camper. So, you know, it's, it's all out there. Go and explore. Okay, that's us. Good night. So now we get on to day 13, Um, and day 13 sees us starting at Manus Lake and finishing the day at Mundaroo campsite. We left uh, Manus Lake uh, 
relatively early in the morning, and for us that was probably around about 7.15, and partly that was because of the cold weather. And it wasn't particularly cold temperature-wise, but camping by such a large body of water, uh, just the amount of moisture in the air being next to a lake just made it feel so cold. Yeah, and I think we got into um, a bit of a um, a trend of, uh, you know, if it wasn't a, a bright sunny day and there wasn't somewhere that we could uh, sort of uh, dry out the tent, we would just pack everything up and move on and we would dry out things later in the day uh, rather than wait around and wait. So it was one of those mornings, it was a pretty heavy, heavy mist, um, a heavy fog and yeah, we just got up and got moving, I guess. For a lot of uh, today's uh, walk, it was pretty much 80% and 85% was all on management road. So we walked out uh, out of the uh, uh, the campsite on the Manus Lake, Ro- uh, Manus Lake Road. Uh, we then uh, had a short section along what is the highway there for probably around about 90 metres before getting back onto Management Road again, uh, walking through Pine Plantation. Uh, and in this case here, uh, there were actually logging activities going ahead. <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah, which which did actually delay us. So we actually had to stop for about 15, 20 minutes as a, as a logging vehicle came down the hill uh, and with a big grappling arm picked all the, uh, the the large trees out of the its basket at the back and just stacked them on the side of the road. Yeah, that was a really interesting one because there was there were lots of signs that said uh, do not enter and uh, authorised personnel and and here we were on foot um, in in the middle of a um, a state forest where there was had been some active logging. And to be honest, I thought someone would come along and stop us and we saw, you know, a couple of cars but they tended to drive past and this and this fellow in, in his big truck uh, moving logs about and so on and nobody seemed to be too fast about us. <laughs> there were a couple of roads that actually said do not enter so um, uh, they obviously couldn't block the entire area off because it was an access road still. Um, but, yeah, you, you, there were, were side roads were blocked off. And we did have to be, pay very close attention to where the vehicle was because I'm sure uh, the driver was probably aware we were there, but it wasn't up to him to, um, to pay attention to what we were doing. It was more the other way around. So we continued on from there. Uh, nothing overly steep on this day. Um, and oh, except there was a steep descent. Except for a steep descent. So in this case here, we are coming down from high altitude, and, and that's a relative term, I suppose, in this area. Um, but we spent a lot of the day coming down, and it was um, nothing overly difficult, but again, it was just uh, a continual steepness going down. I did have a moment at, at one point where I thought, you know, I'm sure they're just um – getting us to weave in and out of this state forest to make up the time because we were so close in the end. We were actually so close to the campsite um, relatively most of the day um, (laughs) that if we'd gone straight there, probably would have been 10 o'clock or something. (laughs) Yeah, and and, I mean, it's one of these sort of things that, you know, as the crow flies, we were probably within about 8 to 10 kilometres of where we were camping from one day to the next, but getting there involved us... Uh, weaving through valleys, going up over hills and coming back down again. 
So we arrived at Mundaroo campsite probably around about 3.30 in the afternoon? Yeah, about 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, it, it was, I think we described Mundaroo as a, an unloved campsite, um, had the potential to be quite nice and quite pleasant, but, um, you know, a little bit overgrown and uh, possibly not well frequented and, um, you know, the usual things uh, that you needed. Um, a, a little bit of a challenge getting to the water. Um, there was a small swamp and a lot of blackberry, <laughs> um, but you know, managed managed to um, get the tent up and and even get it dry in probably almost record time. That little tent's done pretty well in the weather that we had, um, and. And I think that's when we started to talk about, okay, well, what's next? The walk in wasn't a particularly difficult walk, but it was about 17 kilometres, but it did take us a long time. The As Jill said, the campsite was a bit unloved. It was probably war- one of the warmer campsites we'd had for a while because we weren't camped next to a large body of water. Um, we discovered, uh, looking on the maps, uh, that we are actually not too far away from Manus Correctional Centre, as opposed to Manus Island, uh, <laughs> but there is actually a Manus Correctional Centre a few kilometres away, um, and a lot of logging trucks, so um, that's probably the main main industry within that area. Um, this is probably one of the most, the more remote campsites, I think. The previous day, we were probably within seven kilometres of Tumbarumba, and, and on a number of nights, we weren't a huge distance away from civilization, but in this case, um, there was no town uh, that was really that close as far as walking out or driving out was concerned. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so this is where the hike changes. Um, one thing that I that you may have been aware uh, from reading the posts and from uh, listening to our podcast over the uh, the previous couple of podcasts is that I had certainly been having a bit of a hard time of it and I placed it down to my lack of fitness. Many of you would have been aware that I was around about seven kilograms heavier uh, than my through hike that I did last year. Um, and even then I was probably about five kilos up from my ideal hiking weight. I know from experience that 93 kilos is an ideal weight for me to start a hike, uh, and I just find it relatively easy when I am that sort of weight. Uh, And this year I was about 105, just over 105 kilos. My fitness probably wasn't the worst it's been, but it certainly wasn't as good as I would have liked it. So I I put my struggle down to a lack of fitness and and being overweight. Um, But one issue that I had been having uh, which I really hadn't thought about what it was or why why it was happening, was knee injuries. Um, I am not a fan of going downhill on hikes. Uphill I generally cope with, uh, but downhill I find that I have real issue with compression on my knees and my knees actually hurt. And I was finding because of the steep hills, particularly in the, the distance that we actually travelled on this trip, um, I was having big problems with my knees. And particularly over the the whole trip, to a lesser or a greater extent, I was having issues. But certainly in the previous four or five days, um, I was finding that the first couple of hours in the morning, I could quite comfortably travel at around about four and a half kilometres per hour or the equivalent depending on what the terrain was. 
And then um, as I got after that, my knees would become so painful that my average uh, uh, average hiking speed would drop down to about two kilometres per hour. So on some days where we were having really long days, it was due to the train, no doubt about that, uh, but uh, it was also due to my knee issues more than anything else. And I, I think that's, um, I guess, an interesting point to make that while some people might think, oh, well, you know, the the distances that we travelled and, and the time that we did it in and so on wasn't too bad, the experience itself uh, was very different to what our normal experience is. And I think there are lots of indicators here that say, hey, you know, something's not quite right. And, you know, when when you get in a bit of a rhythm and you, then you um, uh, have occasions where that rhythm isn't there, that's an indicator that something's not working. So I, I had been thinking for a few days before this, how I was going to manage the knee issue, what I was going to go through and do. And by this stage, when we reached Mundaroo campsite, we'd uh, done approximately 310 kilometres of the 426-kilometre trip. And realistically, we had around about six days to go at an average of about, uh, an average of about, about 22 kilometres a day. But I was finding that based on my knee issues, um, you know, on the final day, on that, that day 13, uh, I'd actually strapped my knee. Uh, I'd rubbed my knee with Voltaren to reduce the inflammation. I'd taken ibuprofen as well, uh, and that certainly got me through in the next couple of hours uh, much more in a much better state. However, I was actually having that feeling of I knew the pain was there; it was suppressed; it wasn't hurting, but I was actually sweating and feeling really sick because of the pain in the knees and just wasn't enjoying what I was doing. So the the, the ibuprofen and the, the Voltaren was actually providing a, a mask to the pain, but it wasn't getting rid of the effects of the pain. Yeah, that's right. And I think the other thing for, for us is that um, there were also there were also some tough days ahead. Um, you know, there was at least one um, – section that was going to be hard as well. So, you know, we, we're thinking about what was to come, what it was like at this minute and, you know, um, how hard or easy was it to navigate what we'd already navigated. One of the choices that I had been thinking about was, okay, rather than taking 19 days, I had a few days spare up our sleeve. So do I add an extra couple of days into the trip? Um and based on how I was going and, and the, the, my experience of the trip, it just wasn't going through and worth pushing it just to say, right, I've completed a through hike. Um, yeah, I've done it all in one go. So after a bit of soul searching, I, I decided um, that um, it really was time to pull the pin on the trip. And I think Jill was certainly fine. Uh, she was having no problems with the distances at all. And what surprised me was last year I'd done a, done a thousand kilometres, no issues whatsoever. Easter, one hundred and twelve kilometres in three days, no issues whatsoever. Um, I've 
my, my three biggest days that I've ever done on any hike is about, around, around about the 145 to 150 kilometres, and again, no issues. Uh, and for whatever reason, uh, this trip um, really was was knocking me around. And certainly my fitness level and the weight I was carrying certainly made a difference to, to that experience. Recently, we actually did a, um, a, a podcast and also a... Uh, uh, an, an article on when is it time to call call it quits on a hike, and I must admit I'm quite happy to take my own advice on this one. That as much as I would have liked to have done this hike all in one go, it wasn't worth it uh, because I really wasn't enjoying what I was doing, uh, and I was more concerned about what uh, what the long term impact on my knees were if I had have just pushed it. Um, it may have been nothing. It may have caused much more damage to the the joint structures, uh, and I still have to go to um, uh, health professionals over the next few days. Um, I have a, an indication of what the problem is, uh, and I'll talk about that in the written article, which I'll release over the next three to four days. Um, but um, uh, it's one of these sort of things there. I think it's going to be the big, the really big days and the really long distances are going to be out for me for a number of months. And I'm going to have to stick to shorter hikes. Again, that, that's fine by me. I don't have an issue with that. Um, but certainly it's, uh, it, it did surprise me because for so many years, I've never had any issues whatsoever on, on my hikes. So it really did throw me in that respect. And it was, from my perspective, a hard decision uh, to, to pull the pin. Um, you know, it's like, well, have I, have I been successful in what I'm doing? Uh, and from my perspective, yes, I have. So what was a through hike has now become a section hike, and I will complete this trip off um, early next year after all the excessive heat from summer, after all the bushfire dangers are over. Um, and um, um, I may take it slightly slower. I may take it in uh, rather than doing it in six days. I might do it in seven, or I might do it a bit easier uh, to fish to, just to finish the trip off. Yeah, it was. An, it's an interesting one because you know, um, those those who when you, when it's not going well, those who are travelling with you can tell it's not going well, and so you know it did it did take us a little time to get into the real conversation um, about this, and um, you know I could tell it, it, and as I said before, I could tell. Uh, this wasn't uh, how it usually goes when we're normally on a, on a longer hike. Um, despite that, you know, Tim was adamant that this is what he was like and this is kind of normal and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but So you had to break through that a little bit um, to get a real conversation happening uh, around what was really happening and, and, you know, what were we going to do next. I must admit, it's it's one of those sort of things. Logistically, it would have been much so much easier had I have pulled the pin the day before uh, at, Lake, <laughs> at, at Lake Manus. I could have very easily. Um, it would have been a roughly a seven and a half kilometre walk into Tumbarumba. Uh, I could have actually got a could have got transport into Tumbarumba quite easily. Um, uh, but as it was, um, Mundaroo was probably one of the sites on the whole track where if you're going to pull the pin at that point, it's probably one of the more difficult places to do it. Um, it still involves a 10-kilometre walkout, 
Um, we and that put us onto the highway. It didn't take us into Mandaru itself, which was another couple of kilometres. Um, and thankfully, we had phone signal to be able to contact a family member uh, who did offer to actually come out and pick us up at the end of the night on day 13, which would have meant they'll be driving at night time. Uh, and we said, no, that's fine, um, because we still would have had to have walked out another seven kilometres on that day, which I wouldn't have been happy with. So um, as it was, we, we walked out, uh, I think it was around about 10 kilometres that day in total, uh, on the final day, on day 14, yeah, uh, got to sit on the side of the road at the, the agreed location and around about 15, 20 minutes later, our lift turned up and, and took us back to Canberra. The, yes, thank you to our lift. <laughs> <laughs> it's, good, it's good to have relatives. Um, so uh, what that means for us is, uh, as we said, this has stopped being a through hike, now becoming a section hike. Um, we've now done 310 kilometres approximately of this trip uh, and we still have approximately 116 kilometres left to go. Uh, and as I said, the plan is to finish that off in at the end of summer in 2020, so somewhere around the March, April, sort of May period. Okay, so now let's look at the views or what we think of the trail so far. We've done a fair chunk of it. We haven't done the southern section of the trail uh, and certainly we'll revisit this um, the written version of this uh, this uh, trip right up um, once we finish the whole trip. But from my perspective, um, injuries aside, unfitness aside, this is by far the most difficult trip that I've actually ever done as a hiker. As I said, last year I did the Bibbulmun Track, 1,000 kilometres. In comparison, that was an easy trip. Um, the trails seem to be a bit softer, a um, lot more rain, I suppose. But this year we had a lot of up sections, a lot of very steep up sections. Uh, we had a lot of very narrow, slippery, uh, and at times treacherous bits of trail. You know, this is a this is a rugged wilderness trail, and and I think you know, it's it's not a walk in the park. Um, it's 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 real serious hiking. Um, the terrain says that. Um, the uh, variable weather conditions. You know, I think you could r range from snow to fire depending on the time of year um wind i suspect would be ever present irrespective of the season um uh, as i would uh, expect uh rain to be highly variable in terms of um all of those things make it really really difficult um all of those things mean things such as tree falls are quite common um and there was a lot of tree fall on the track um, almost impossible to uh, clear it. I mean, it's 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 rugged wilderness, wilderness. So you know you can't be out there doing that. Uh, we've talked about the blackberries and and so on. So you know this 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 is tough hiking. I, I think it's quite a um, uh, it's achievable, and if you've achieved it. You know, there's a strong sense of challenge. Um, but, you know, this is the kind of hiking that says you've got to be prepared for almost anything. So certainly from our perspective, um, 
you know, you, look, you go onto the website um, and it's the sort of thing that, um, uh, and I could be wrong here, uh, but you look at, say, the Bibbleman track, there's a group of volunteers that help to maintain the track. You look at the Heisen Trail in South Australia, there's a, a group of volunteers that help to maintain that. With a lot of the tracks, they're either heavily funded by government uh, because they're in national parks, or there's a large volunteer group that helps to maintain sections of the trail. And as far as I'm aware, there isn't a volunteer group that that it might be in small sections, but there's not a volunteer group that maintains the entire trail uh, with the government providing oversight. Yeah, I, d- I don't know, but I think the challenge also is um, that a fair proportion of the track is on private land and you know, a shout out to all of those private landholders who allow people like us to wander through their properties. Um, and some of those properties were, were quite variable in their um, their maintenance of the track as well. You know, you're dependent on um, private individuals. So I, I, I just, I, I think some of this is, is the nature of the track itself. Um, it's, it's, it's not this... Um, ordered weaving through the bush, you know, <laughs> um, with you know signage every so many kilometres or whatever. Um, it, it's not that experience. It's quite a different experience, and I think you have to take it for the experience that it is, um, and you have to, um, I think, o- almost. Um, accommodate some of those imperfections if if you like um and you know be aware uh like us for injury i think a lot of the up and down obviously impacted your your knees but you know in injury may mean you can't continue um the weather may mean that you can't continue or you need to pause or whatever it might be but you know it's 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 not a done deal that you're going to get to the end of this because of the nature of the track and it's that ruggedness that it, I think is the appeal. Now, I think listening to the last uh, podcast, we talked to Dean from Reflections Holiday Park at um, at Barrenjuk, and he was saying that uh, he gets roughly around about 50 through-hikers a year coming through uh, to do the walk, and that's if you choose to do that version. You could actually choose to bypass the dam section uh, and do an alternate route past Lake Barrenjuk. That is a possibility. So um, that you know, it's not the sort of hike where you get hundreds or thousands of people doing this a year. Certainly, many people do sections of it, uh, but as far as a complete through hike from end to end, there is a much smaller number on this is a long distance trail than probably most of the other long distance trail or the well known long distance trails in Australia. And from uh, there, there are log books along the way, and from what we could tell. Um, from the information in the log books, and I am assuming that people write in them, which is a good idea. Um, there were a lot of people doing sections rather than um, end-to-end. The, the, the few people who were saying that they were, you know, a- attempting the whole lot were, were quite few and far between. Now, Jill talked about the Weatherman's Trail, and I suppose people, um, and, I, and I'll put the full details in the written version or the written write-up of this trap as we as we stand at the moment, and this will have to be completed uh, once I finish the last, once we finish the last section of the trail. But certainly, 
if you go through and have a look at the Human Hovel Track website, uh, and there's a list of um, notifications up there, and they talk about burn-offs, so sections of the trail are closed, or they talk about heavy snow. I was very much aware that snow can and would impact on this trip, uh, and anywhere from just being light snow through to something reasonably serious. Um, and we did have sections where, um, you know, we had we couldn't actually see the trail um, because the the snow was actually that heavy, and this was in September. Uh, so, so thick on the ground. Yeah. So if you choose to do this trip in say July or August, there's probably a fairly large likelihood that you're going to have to be very comfortable and experienced in hiking through the snow and all that implies uh, to be able to actually complete this trip. And yeah, and looking at the logbooks, really the last pe- people that we could see at the end of last year were around about June, and then there was a gap in between where people who were doing through hikes uh, had skipped. Uh, and it appeared that we were the first of the the new season's hikers that have come through. And we knew there are a group of hikers about three days behind us. So the other issue, as we said, are are bushfires. So realistically, the ideal seasons to do this trip are going to be September, October, and probably through to about early November. Uh, And then you're probably looking at around about mid-March, mid-April, through to mid-May, May, May, maybe towards the end of May, but you're starting to get a high risk of snow by that stage. So there's probably around about two and a half months in springtime uh, and then two and a half months in autumn that would be, you know, which is five months of the year, that would be ideal weather conditions, whatever that means. So minimum chance of bushfires, minimum chance of, of snowfalls that are going to impact on you. But re- recognising, uh, you know, high winds would be a constant, recognising that, um, you know, cha- changeable weather would be uh, likely, all of those sorts of things. So it's not, it's not going to be, um, you know, blue skies and, you know, no wind or rain or any uh, anything else um, but it's going to be the best it possibly can be I think now certainly from a, a point of view of water availability some sites had water tanks um, although we we stopped at one where the guttering had been damaged uh, and the water tank was full surprisingly enough but the guttering had been damaged and needing repair needed repairing but by the end of mid to late summer, particularly as Australia is almost in a drought at the moment, uh, how much water would be available at that particular campsite may be an issue. And I think that's that's a, a consideration about the distances, and I think some people are probably surprised at some of the distances that we have done. And, you know, the option is uh, carry carry double water, uh, just in case, so you can stop between the various campsites. Uh, those distances are in large part from campsite to campsite. Um, so, so carry carry double water so you can stop, um, or you know risk going on a search for water um, at a particular point between campsites. Um, so, other than the private land, you you can pretty much. Uh, camp almost anywhere, um, 
you know, it's pretty clear along the way whether or not you're entering a section uh, that you can or can cannot um, camp in. Um, so that adds to the difficulty of this trail as well that says, you know, so if you're carrying extra water, that's extra weight. Um, if you're going camp to camp, that's the distances. They're the big distances that you have to do in difficult terrain. You know, so so I, I, I think it's um, a great hike. I, I, I loved that sense of walking in the footsteps. I love that connection with um, uh, rural Australia and natural Australia and uh, it has a lot to offer but it's a challenge. And I must agree. I mean, you know, as, as much as we complain about the blackberries. And, <laughs> and, and, and I did. And, and, wrecked my shoes. Yeah. We, we, oh, we, and, we, and my puffer. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a bit of, bit of damage to clothing and gear through to the blackberries, and but it was preferable to the gear than it was to us. Um, but uh, certainly from my perspective, um, I was overseas, um, uh, living overseas with my parents at, that, at the time when uh, – the schools in Australia were discussing uh, the Australian explorers. Um, I wasn't that familiar with Human Hovel before this trip. Uh, I certainly learned a lot, um, and it made me come away wanting to learn more. Um, it was interesting. We uh, uh, a lot of the information we read early on in the trip uh, basically painted Hovel as as this arrogant pommy um, who was really trying to take over the trip. Um, but in all honesty, you know, we we were reading information, uh, interpretive information further along the trip, that painted the story slightly differently, um, uh, and you know, the, the, the both human hovel had specific skills that contributed to the success of this trip, uh, and it wasn't just all uh, all the Hume that was the was the, the 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 driving force behind this. Yeah, and and you know there were some pretty interesting um, snippets that we did, discovered along the way. Um, being able to read that information from the maps in the places where you were at, you know that that had a lot of meaning. And um, uh, I I did say when I was talking about Thomas Boyd that uh, he you know, made his fortune around the tumid area and then went off to the coast. He didn't go to the coast. I got that wrong. <laughs> and, One of our listeners corrected that. And it was actually a listener who Thomas Boyd was their great, great, great grandfather. Um, so it was interesting to get uh, some some feedback from a family member of of one of the expedition members. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, I, I mean, as I said, from my perspective, it made me want to learn more about the human hovel expedition, and certainly over the coming months, I'll do a bit more reading into it to, to get a bit more detail, a bit more information. There are some really good sections on out of the fourteen days that we did. There are some really good sections, and there's no doubt about that. Walking through rural land, I, there were parts of New South Wales that I had never seen before. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd never really been to Tumut or Tumbarumba before. I'm sure I'd probably as a child I'd driven past there at some point but not been interested. So I got to see parts of the country that uh, I'd never seen before I never like, would have likely to, to have seen before. Um, there were some exceptionally good... Uh, things that we saw, so particularly the 
the the the day taking us from uh, Mundaroo, so I'm from Manus Lake through to Mundaroo was probably one of our best days. Not because of the spectacular scenery or anything else, but we saw um, echidnas, we saw little native orchids that we're both interested in. Uh, there was lots of little interesting stuff uh, that came up, um, and yeah, you know, and there were waterfalls. So there were some really good sections on this track. And as part of the the written write up, we'll go through and say, you know, if you've got three or four or five days, this is the section to do. If you've got mm-hmm. you know, five to ten days, this is the section to do. Yeah, um, and there were some really lovely spots. And the fact that you had to um, walk the difficult terrain um, to get to them was probably the reason why they were still so lovely. Um, you know, they're, they're a bit off the beaten track and uh, secluded and uh, you either were going there deliberately or you were, you know, passing through for some, you know, strange reason on your way to somewhere else. So, you, you know, I, I, I liked the mix of the days. I liked the rural and the, and the native and, uh, you know, even – Walking through some of those rural properties, I just decided that um, uh, a, a Australia was full of poop. <laughs> so we've got horse poop, and we've got cow poop, and wombat, wombat sheep poop, poop. <laughs> <laughs> dog poop, wombat poop. <laughs> yeah, it was just, a, um, and sometimes co- coincidentally, sometimes um, you know, finding the uh, trail in the snow wasn't that bad because. Uh, the animals like to use the trail too, so they poop on the trail. <laughs> so you just look for a pile of poop. Okay, so this is where we stand with this trip so far. So 310 kilometres done out of the 426-kilometre trail. And as I said, we will be finishing this off uh, before winter 2020, uh, and we'll go through and update the written article, which we'll release in a few days. As far as the written article is concerned, we'll go through and do a full range of photos um, and a full write-up and our, all our recommendations on this trip. I think um, this is one of these tracks that I w- uh, and I would say here is one of the final things for this episode is some trips I'm very happy to say, well, I'll chance it. I won't worry about filtering. We did have some water sources that I won't say were questionable, but were very silty, um, were very mucky, um, and I wouldn't have wanted to drink uh, a lot of the silt out of some of the water sources that we were actually using. So I think uh, carrying a water filter of some sort, uh, A, to get rid of the particulates out of the water in some areas, um, and um, this is probably one of these rare occasions that I'd probably actually say, Take some water purification tablets with you um, because in a lot of cases we were using a gravity feed uh, and because of some of the uh, impurities in the water, uh, it was taking a number of hours to actually go through and filter the water. Um, so uh, a, a a porous filter that traps the particulates, were, it, it, we probably needed a pre-filter. Uh, and again, not in all cases, but certainly there were a number of cases where that would have been a big help for us. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's the case. You know, I think the um, the campsites um, were largely good. Um, you know, we 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 talked about the ones 
that were a little bit forgotten and a little bit neglected. Um, some of the track heads were just amazing, uh, you know, really very, uh, very impressive and, um, you know, were worthwhile staying at in their own right. So, you know, there were lots, lots of good things about this track, lots of um, opportunity, but, you know, the thing to remember is uh, you're hiking in rugged country. That's pretty much it. <laughs> okay, so that's our wrap-up for the trip as it stands so far. Uh, as I said, the uh, for full information, including equipment recommendations and uh, recommendations on where to stay and, and what to do, go through and read the written article on this trip. That will be up in around about four to five days uh, towards the end of September uh, 2019. So if you listen to this podcast as it's been released, we are still working on the written version of this and that will take us a few days yet to complete this off. So we hope you've enjoyed following us along and listening to this trip um, and hopefully you'll still be around within the next six to eight months when we do finish this trip off. Thanks for listening to us. We hope you've enjoyed. Bye for now. And bye from me. Take some water for purification. Take some water for... Uh, I mean, certainly from my perspective, I was around about seven kilometres heavier uh, than I was last year when I started my through hike. That would be kilograms as opposed to kilometres. I mean, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how we're measuring things now, but... <laughs>